Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast. My name is Dan Murphy and I'm joined today by Simon Bukowski. Any closer to getting it right this this week, sir? I think you're pretty much there, Dan. Well, that's pretty good. That's there, good. Yeah. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing, sir? Yeah, very well. Very well. How are you? Well, we're already, it's been an international break, but when they're usually dull and nothing happens in them, it's actually been quite a lively one, um, despite there being no action uh, on the pitch in the Premier League. It's been quite a controversial two weeks or so for a myriad of issues. We'll get into the the most topical and uh, controversial of them, first of all, and um, which is just thankfully, like minutes before we started recording for a change, instead of it coming after we finished recording, Project Big Picture has been rejected out of hand by Premier League clubs after the meeting today. Um, according to the Times, only six of the 20 Premier League clubs are in favour of it. And instead, uh, at a proposal of um, a different way to bail out the EFL, probably only the League One and League Two clubs, and um, uh, will be done instead. And kind of a a proposal to for everyone involved instead of just Manchester United and Liverpool and uh, Rick Parry. So I presume we're both in agreement that is very good news to hear. And how did you how was your reaction to kind of project big picture in the first place and all that it entails? Yeah, I mean it, it was a huge story when it broke, and uh, full credit to the Telegraph for mm. for getting it. it. You know, the it would have been one of the biggest stories. For football in you know decades, mm-hmm. um, as big as the creation of the Premier League, if not bigger, mm-hmm. um, there's no kind of everyone is in, in agreement that there are changes needed in football, and especially the pandemic has exacerbated many things mm-hmm. for the uh, the football pyramid. Um, and it's funny because if you you know a lot of the reports say that a lot of the lower league clubs were in favour of mm-hmm. the plan um, based on. Kind of the money that they would receive, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I looked at it and I was I was scared by it and worried by it, and you know even the the trivial things of as a reporter thinking, <laughs> oh no, there could be twelve Champions League group games rather than six, <laughs> which, which would have felt to me like the end of the world. But um, <clears throat> for you know for some clubs and that it, it could have been far more serious mm-hmm. um yeah. and i don't think the concentration of power in the few is 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 a good thing um so no. i think you know i i it's you, you can see why these changes are or why some of the changes are needed and why some of the things are being driven um by some of the leading clubs but i mean uh, the the top six clubs, all their sub- official supporters groups, put out a joint mm. statement. Um, yeah. Which United kind of, did it did it uh, together. Uh, Must and the City uh, supporters group both kind of did it combined. And considering United would be the most the biggest beneficiaries of it, considering <laughs> if you think of how poorly their club has been run at the minute, they'd be the yeah. you know, Liverpool are all right. They're at the top because they're actually good. Whereas this would have, in theory, kept United there when they could quite easily fall out of the big six by the end of the season. 
with the way things are going. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I mean, United, City, all the clubs are kind of constantly trying to get bigger and better. And mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that stuck out for me was the delay in the Premier League start or, you know, the start of the league so that there can be more time for, for lucrative friendly all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's something that kind of, you know, last season I was fortunate enough to go on the preseason tour to um, to Asia, to China, Hong Kong, Japan. And, um, and there wasn't really much effort made to kind of woo new audiences. And at the same time, you had people, you know, who go to games or kind of think, well, wouldn't it have been better instead of sending them all around the world um, to rack up jet lag and fatigue mm-hmm. if we sort of played local friendlies instead and played yeah. friendlies where other people could go and watch mm. and, you know, not not trying to be insular or anti-global or, or anything, but I think the balance... Mm. It, it's something that clubs always well, have to fight against, and City, as they get more global, will have to fight against. But well, yeah, if if they were to push that through, they would become more global and less local, hmm. I guess. Well, it's hundred percent. If you can imagine, you know, uh, Macclesfield went out of business. Uh, thankfully, uh, as of yesterday, kind of got a reprieve. But um, they went out of business uh, earlier in the summer for five hundred thousand pounds unpaid debt. A city friendly with a local team like that. You know, clubs like Oldham, Rochdale, Bolton, um, any Wigan, you know, the sort of Greater Manchester is in a perilous position as it is because there's so many clubs in proximity to two massive clubs in Manchester and then just two other big clubs just 40 minutes up the road. So as you say, I think that's a good point. I it's always it's taking it's taking football kind of away from where it's meant to be, putting it on the global stage, and it's another it's just another kind of edging close to this European Super League that Angeli is um you know desperate to get through and I think this would be a precursor to that because it seems like the league if United or Liverpool were the only were a Juventus like team in England as they are in Syria as they are in Bundesliga as they are in well nearly are in Spain it would once surprise me all of this was a lot easier to get through but because England is a bit more competitive with six five or six teams you can say at that much of level of competition it's a bit harder for them but let's like as we said, thankfully it has been rejected out of hands, but let's kind of look at the different kind of points of big picture because there was some actual, if you look at it, and as you said, you've said that about the friendlies and I didn't even notice that. There was a lot in there, but kind of the broad points, there were some good ones. 250 million would go to the EFL today if it was voted through and that would sort many of the clubs out who've absolutely needed it. Um, 25% of future TV revenue, I believe, would have gone to EFL clubs. There was uh, provisions in there for safe standing, and um, uh, clubs, so you know, a lot of stuff that fans want, and a lot of stuff that would be great for the game, but it comes at a massive cost in the, the negative column of the Premier League being reduced to 18 teams. The, for the EFL, Turkey's voting for Christmas, would lose two of their own members and it'd be cut to 90 teams. Um, the playoffs, they'd have a less chance of getting to the Premier League with um, three championship playoffs instead of four, with one of the up the final place going to the final Premier League team, which, as you see in that sort of relegation system in Germany, the Bundesliga side often, apart from this year, actually, is usually the one who wins against the team coming up um, in the playoffs. Um, Carabao Cup would be gone, which <laughs> City, Pep Guardiola's trophy <laughs> hall gets cut in half. Um, as as well as the Community Shield, there's no uh, quadruple, as City liked to call it last year. 
Um, and the biggest kind of one of it all is that the the top six and then added three of, of their choosing, it would seem, because West Ham and Southampton are by no means guaranteed a place in Premier League either, um, would have uh, basically weighted votes in their favour instead of the one vote for one every club. They'd have kind of veto power and would have the majority say in how things are run. And that's just kind of solidifying, putting the league in stasis and putting not even a glass ceiling, a solid wood ceiling. Like no one's getting through that. Like, and we don't know as of yet which clubs have come out, out against it, but you'd like to think that teams like well, City, who themselves have not been even in the Premier League as long cumulatively as. Newcastle and Aston Villa and Tottenham, who were mid-table side as well for long swathes of the last two decades, would think, hey, up, we wouldn't be in this position had had this been in place 20 years ago. It'd be Newcastle or, may I say it, Bolton Wanderers, who were challenging for the top six at once upon a time, who'd be the ones in this kind of position. So, like, how do you think City would have stood on it? Because it, obviously it suits them now, and we've had... Serario uh, in recent, it's another way of the loans that would have come in. Serario, I'm probably not saying his name right, even my apologies, would have um, once the B teams and that. It seems like a lot of it would have been City's favour, but would as Joe Bray wrote on the MEN, a great piece, like you, you need to remember where they've come from because they wouldn't have been in this position 10 years ago. Yeah, and uh, I would like to think that um, City would kind of, City wouldn't kind of act against um a lot of the fans and i know you know some fans may have been fully in favor of the plan some partly but i mean i mean the the view from the official supporters club was that you know they didn't support um what the the big picture was and you would like to think that the club um wouldn't go against i mean city are now one of the leading clubs in the world and fran soriano suggested b teams last week um it's Something that Pep said before, Patrick Vieira suggested it when he was in charge um, of the under-23s. It, it's like, yeah, in an ideal world, we'd like this, but I, I can't see it happening any time soon. So it, it was mm -hmm. kind of, Soriano was kind of blue sky thinking a bit. And uh, I, I mean, he, he must have known how it would sound and well, suggesting he doesn't want them, but it was um, kind of a bit... A bit abstract i think certainly compared to when you suddenly get all these concrete plans that have been going on mm. on for years um yeah i mean it it is a mess like city aren't the main story in it because it, it's an issue that the premier league the efl the government are all at loggerheads over and also as much as i wouldn't agree with the sort of the powers being given to the big six um let's not pretend for one second that the big six are always in agreement on everything um because you know they're, they're rivals and they're not and well see you went to the court of arbitration for sport and took the words out of mouth tried, exactly. to, <laughs> tried to make sure they stayed out of europe so it, yeah. it's not like it's we're burnley one of them like yeah <laughs> i would burnley care <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. like 100 um but you you don't want to they, they shouldn't be able to have that opportunity um, to agree because um, all 20 clubs in the division. And, and yeah, and for, I mean, I, I've been off for quite a few days, so I've not been looking at it from like a, a professional point of view. But yeah, you said 18 teams in the league. That for me, well, it 
the division isn't as good if there are only no. 18 teams. And that playoffs, like how often is it that the the team who wins the championship and the teams who get automatically promoted do better than the team mm. that comes up through the playoffs? It's not always the case. No. Um, so, and, I mean, who was yeah. it last year who came through the playoffs? Obviously Sheffield United and, oh man, I can't remember who went down last year. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like um, the playoffs team is often the one who kind of yeah, like Huddersfield came up through the playoffs, I think, mm. and then won took ten points from the first twelve games and stayed mm-hmm. up. So well, you know, what, you're oh, you're... until they went down with playoffs winners, until they went, you know, they you know they yeah. gave a lot of teams bully noses at the start of the season as well. It's just yeah, it seems like a real kind of way to kind of solidify and like while there's no doubt the lower leagues need it, this isn't the way to do it because. The football is kind of built on competition, as we were saying, like clubs go up and down and that's what makes it fluid and fun. You know, Everton were the top club in the 80s. Villa and Forest have been Champions League winners, all European Cup winners. And they're now, well, one's a uh, periphery, a championship club and the other's struggling at the bottom of the league. It's a fluid game. And I should say, less games, surely less TV rights. But then it's because they want less fixtures, but then they want longer games. Jet setting Europe, uh, Asia tours and Australia tours and USA tours. It strikes me, and I think it's quite telling that the two main kind of runners of it are American, because uh, it kind of really strikes me as how American sports are run, how it's a closed shop, and there's no relegations in it. Even, you know, the MLS is the same. It's like it was all franchises, they all stay where they are because they're all in kind of, while they're all competing on the field, they are all kind of as well. If you look into how kind of uh, Nazel was originally set up in America, it was like free. Uh, men who all owned the clubs because they're all in it together pretty much because it's not at the end of the day over there well obviously the sport on the field is just competitive as it is anywhere the end game is a lot much it's financial and that's why I think it's getting brought over in much more and more it's definitely becoming more capitalistic and I'm not saying football isn't it's always has been but it feels like in the last even in the last year it's just feeling like it's going more and more to the edge because this isn't the first sort of this announcement that's happened in the last year, the European Super League keeps getting knocking on the door. And it's honestly, it's quite worrying. Like, I'm, you know, we both uh, have <laughs> unfortunate admiration for clubs who have had financial difficulties in the last <laughs> five years or so. And it's just, it's just depressing. It's all just down to money now, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, it's a conversation that's not going to go away and will rumble on and on. And, you know, the, the elite teams will always be looking for, the best out of them and um you know as as everyone will be everyone's looking out for themselves um and it's going to be in kind of an ever shifting landscape to uh to to see what's what's going on so we wait and see what happens with mm-hmm. uh this latest project or plans but we I, I, as i said you kind of would hope that um any decision that city the football club come to is um, done mm-hmm. with the support of the majority of the fans. Mm-hmm. Well, at least for now, it's been pushed back. We don't know when uh, kind of a new proposal will be laid bare and what will happen in the years to come. But from one kind of depressing real, um, reality shock of what football's become to another, uh, PPV matches were announced of just, well, the week before. It's kind of taken the shine off it. It's all big picture stuff. It's almost as if they had, a, you know, they buried bad news with bad news. But... Um, yeah, so any team in the Premier League now, any games that aren't selected for the usual BT and Sky Sports kind of slots, which I think is five matches uh, per week, 
will now be behind a paywall and you'll have to and fans will have to pay even those who've bought season tickets as I'm so far aware um we'll have to pay 15 quid per game to watch them and I presume again we're in complete agreement I know this is quite just quite distasteful after a January transfer window in which Premier League clubs spent over a billion pounds it's just beyond the pale again yeah I I have sympathy for the Premier League and the clubs because um Do you? <laughs> well because fans should already have been back at games in some True. regard True. and it's sort of the complete mishandling of the pandemic from elsewhere that means that they're in this position and you see like you know there's a lot of people angry you see like a full london palladium this mm-hmm. week an indoor venue to witness Arsene wenger and then you have sort of the um the culture secretary saying, oh, well, you know, it's not just being inside a stadium. It's, uh, you know, all the things go into it. And, you know, they put the 10 p.m. curfews in and everyone's out on the street together at, at 10 o'clock. It's kind mm-hmm. of, there's for for years and years and years, there's been kind of a, a mistrust or a certain framing of football fans that they won't do what they're told. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the idea that, some fans would not want to go and watch their team, even if it meant they couldn't go and have three beers beforehand or walk to the game with the mates as they usually do or whatever, is kind of a bit... Well, I just can't agree with it at all when you see everything else that's going on. Um, I, don't, I don't think all fans would want to go back. And people I've spoken to, they say, oh, yeah, I don't want to go back till it's full or till mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it's all normal again or, or whatever and fine. But... You know, fans should be back in yes, games 100%. now. At least to um, a certain extent. You know, I can understand not full capacity, you know, yeah. space it out 25%, 20 even 10%. And it is, as I say, they have been put in a fortunate position, especially the clubs yeah. lower down the pyramid who are in the same kind of boat. And I think a lot of what it's kind of got, what I saw went unnoticed that a lot of Premier League clubs, uh, not sorry, a lot of clubs kind of have paid a lot of money for put COVID precautions in. I, mean, I saw Millwall had spent £250,000 to put, um, kind of sanitised stations or it might even be track and trace stations in around the ground and to have space in for queues to get into the grounds and stuff because they were all expecting to have fans in uh, by early October and obviously it's gone it's gone down the pan, unfortunately. But we turn towards the pay-per-view. I say it's unfortunate that it's led to this. And it's, it's strange. I, why you say, while it's like you say you have sympathy, I, I kind of think it's weird how like, EFL, fans of EFL clubs have had to pay a tenner from the absolute start. Um, for every match with I follow apart, although it is good that um, season ticket holders do do get the code to any game at home for free, which is as it should be. And I think if Premier League clubs did that, I think a lot of the uh, backlash would have been a little less severe. But I think fifteen pound a game, every game, especially if you look at teams. I think it's West Brom and Aston Villa aren't on TV at all throughout October, so they would have to pay forty five quid for each of the free games. It's just it's just taking the mick, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's terrible, it's disgraceful and I think, you know, City are lucky in the sense that all of their games in October are on TV but I, the way that clubs get their revenue um, it is kind of you are more helping out a lower league club by paying £10 to watch a game awesome. than you are to pay £15 to watch a Premier League game um, and you're probably more likely to own BT or Sky, I would suggest if your club is in the Premier League because you're more like so you're already paying for money. Um, mm-hmm. 
for, for Sky and BT because your club's likely to be on those channels more often than you are if you're in the championship or or below. Um, and 15 quid on top, like no disrespect to them, but who is going to pay 15 quid on top of what they already pay to watch West Brom v Burnley? Yeah, well, like, I think that's it, kind of... I think that's kind of the sad thing about it. It's like fans may still, you know, fans may think, oh, 15 quid, I really want to watch United Newcastle, example. I know that's the first one on Saturday. Like United fans probably will pay for it, or Newcastle fans for that matter. But you're not getting neutrals paying it, I don't think. And that's the kind of sad thing because neutrals are going to miss out on potentially a good game there. I know they wouldn't be able to watch it in normal times anyway, but newsflash, these aren't normal times anymore. And when you've been given... You know, when you've been given in the games, not for free, they've not only five or so games have been on BBC for free. I think a lot of people have been saying they've been getting away for free. They've not been. They've still had to be a Sky customer for most of them. Obviously, they've had some free games too. You've started to be a Sky customer on the most part to watch these games that have been broadcast. So it's not for free, but to be giving them extra and then taking them away is like another money grab. Again, after fun, after the teams have just spent over a billion pounds in the transfer window. It just it kind of sticks in the crowd a bit, I think. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as we've kind of mentioned a bit and like there are so many discussions going on and everyone's coming at it from different perspectives and, and no one is particularly kind of winning from this pandemic. Like nobody's yeah. having a good time and the broadcasting companies are losing money and they've lost access and whatever and no one's having a great time. But the, the fans definitely aren't winning and they've, you know, the... They don't normally win a lot normally, but we're, we're normally talking about them, you know, silly kickoff times or having no trains back from Wembley hmm. or anything like that. Whereas, you know, now it's literally like, you you know, you can't go, you can't watch the games hmm. um, unless you pay silly amounts of money. Um, mm-hmm. So what once again, the uh, the fans who don't have kind of, who, who have the least power in this, in these situations get sort of the least mm-hmm. back. Yeah, I just wish I've offered far better. I just wish in uh, we were better at like kind of collective action because I think what's been made abundantly clear over the last uh, kind of few months is that football without fans is not the same, it, not at all. Um, when you're just listening to the echoey shouts or kind of mistimed uh, FIFA background chants, it's absolutely not the same. You don't really, while some games have still been brilliant, and I think we have kind of got used to it. I think Newcastle, sorry, I think Leeds City the other week was a fantastic game so intense and I kind of forgot fans weren't there at one stage until they score and they pan to the empty seats but like with fans have been shown how important they are and I think as we if we because we're all missing it I'm not, I don't think it's going to happen but we really should kind of put our foot down and refuse to go back to games until we're treated with a bit more respect you know if fan, if game times can be moved kick off um, from quarter past eight to eight o'clock just for a curfew they can be moved if the last train back from London is half an hour before the end of the game. So it's really frustrating, but what can you do here? Yeah, I, it's really interesting. Uh, Pep Guardiola has just been speaking with uh, Virat Kohli, the Indian cricketer. Oh, okay. Um, and he was asked whether kind of the absence of fans made it easier to manage because, you know, you've not got the distraction of the crowd mm-hmm. or it's easy to get your instructions across. And he just basically said it's rubbish. Said the good moments are less good, the bad moments are less bad. It's kind of mm-hmm. the, those like agony and uh, ecstasy. You think back to like mm. the the Champions League game Tot- the other Tottenham. year with Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, like you know, and that was an iconic reaction from Guardiola as he went from one extreme to the other. Oh. Like that, he just said that's gone essentially, and mm. it is less enjoyable for the players and 
the manager mm-hmm. and it's certainly less enjoyable for the fans. So I know mm-hmm. it, it's hard to avoid with what's gone on and obviously safety is important, uh, of paramount importance. Um, but it, it, it's not as good a thing as it was, which is no. a shame. Yeah, so we can only hope we're back in quickly and all the, you know, the fans getting the short end of the stick kind of ends soon, but I have doubts. But moving on to actual football, because there has been some international football this week and it's been some bad news for City, unfortunately, because uh, Kevin De Bruyne in England's match against Belgium kind of picked up an injury, kind of seemed innocuous. He kind of passed a ball and seemed to pull something or twist an ankle. I, we, we don't have a clear picture of the injury yet, I don't think, but he's been sent on from the Belgium squad, won't play in Wednesday night's game against Iceland, and it's uh, bad news for City, sir. Yeah, um, it is. It's certainly not what you would want. I think De Bruyne coming back fit from international duty is maybe your number one priority if you're City. Um, mm-hmm. That hasn't happened. It seems to be the case that it's more kind of preventative they're trying to uh, to make sure that it's not it doesn't turn into something that's more serious than than it is at the moment. Um, but still, a, a major doubt for for Saturday's game with Arsenal, mm-hmm. which is which is unfortunate um, for City. Um, they should be able to uh, have their Portuguese players back at least because there was a bit of a scare mm-hmm. there when Cristiano Ronaldo tested positive for COVID hours after slapping up a picture of him next to João Cancelo. Um, uh, of course, Neil. hasn't played yet this season because he's been injured. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, Cancelo, Bernardo, and Ruben Diaz, of course, um, should be back. Sterling withdrew from the England squad for their mm-hmm. qualifiers with a hamstring issue. Should be okay um, for for Saturday. Aguero has been training um, with the group, but they've also had a bit of time off as well. Aguero has been in London. Um, at, Jesus only just back, so not sure that that will be enough time for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so some, <laughs> yet again, some kind of major injury concerns for City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, been it's... a topic of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, certainly as you know, Bernardo's been out, Cancelo, as we just mentioned, has been out. Um, Jesus has been out, as we said, and we've seen kind of Raheem Sterling and yeah. Liam Delap play up front in that central role. Um, how big? Of, I mean, it's obviously it's an obvious answer. De Bruyne has probably been City's best player again so far this season. I think I'd hasten to it. Like he's yeah. just above the rest and playing Arsenal. Arsenal, who beat City last year in the uh, FA Cup semi-final, Arteta feels like he's had Guardiola's number on quite a few occasions. He's been really impressive at Arsenal, like especially against bigger sides. Like we may as well go straight into this Arsenal game, which they play on Saturday. Like. How do you see this game going? Uh, City look kind of maybe depleted, or at least if not, without the star players, some of them aren't going to be up to the snuff or up to the fully fit, especially with Aguero. Um, how do you see it kind of going? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, Arteta has kind of developed this reputation as the the details man, and the, certainly at City he was the guy who could put make Guardiola's instructions practical and accessible for the players, and you know had these ideas to to get in behind opponents and there'll be few people who know City's weaknesses and strengths better mm. than him. Um, we as, all know the left-back anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, are. as so he showed... It's not that hard to target. Well. <laughs> yeah, um, so it, it's going to be... It's going to be tough and Arsenal have looked decent. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, more than anything, it's about spirit and sort of buying into this 
collective philosophy and Arsenal for years have looked like a just a shambles, mm. really. And I, I went to the Etihad to the Emirates uh, last Christmas, and City just took them apart so easily. You've got like Nicolas Pepe, who's cost seventy-two million, doing nothing at all, just like jogging, and and then you know that that was unrecognisable to the the team that beat City in mm. the FA Cup semi. Um, but Guardiola keeps saying that this City squad still have this hunger to to reach the top and to to challenge for the league. Um, off the three performances so far this season, you wouldn't say it, but then you look at Liverpool and United getting battered and you think maybe it's going to be a funny yeah. old season where you, the standard doesn't need to be that high. So um, that will have given them kind of a bit more of a lift going into this game. Um, but the motivation should should be there anyway. And on on their day, um, City are better than Arsenal. Of course they are, of course they are. But I think Arsenal will be, I think, Thomas Partey, new signing on deadline day, uh, will be there. Gunasaurus won't be there, of course, sadly. <laughs> what can you do? Um, but yeah, Thomas Partey, new signing. He seems, yeah, it seems like it's going to be kind of a close drawn thing, I think, especially you know, Arsenal, you know, they've, in contrast to City, Arsenal's players have had a great international break. Saka's made his England debut and will likely play uh, against uh, Denmark on Wednesday. Um, Enketia became England and 21's record goal scorer. Um, it seems like that they're, they're going into it a bit more kind of prepared as well. I think, like I say, City's absence is going to be costly. I'd say, how do you think they line up up front? Because Liam Delap's the only fit one, really. If you're looking at it now, yeah. Yeah, um, I think for for such a big game, um, you would probably go Sterling up front. I know mm-hmm. he, he has his detractors, um, but he is the top scorer for the season. He scored against Leeds. He did miss that mm-hmm. one-on-one. Um, but um, I think he's kind of the most natural option in the absence of, of Jesus and Aguero. I mean, uh, Maras has played there, but didn't really kind of give them the same uh, the same central figure and Foden has done it as well but it, you're talking more of a false nine whereas Sterling's kind of the closest to an actual nine you can get um, mm-hmm. with with Aguero and, and Jesus out um, so yeah I mean it's going to be tough um, and you, you do feel you talk about Arsenal being prepared it still feels like City have not got control of their season Um mm. They've had these positive COVID tests. Um, I mean, Gundogan's missed the the entirety of their season pretty much after being getting a positive test kind of just before the the first game of the season at Wolves. So it's it, it still feels like they've got a lot of injuries. They've got a lot of headaches. Um, but there is the basis of a very good team. And now, the, you know, you're talking, you should have Edison, Walker, Laporte, Diaz, and Mendy or Aki at the back. Like that is a a very solid, very good mm-hmm. back five uh, foundation. Rodri um, is pretty much fit all the time. You know, say what you like about his game, but he, he's he rarely uh, suffers an injury. And you've got Sterling, you've got Bernardo, you've got Gundogan, um, you've got all these all these talents. Really, you you might not have an actual striker for for the Arsenal game. But you should have plenty to, uh, if, to get them over the line. I wonder if we'll finally get Gundogan there because he has teased it before in the past. 
And that would be, I'd be very into because I think a lot of fans' heads may fall off if that is the case. Because <laughs> they think yeah. they're too uh, defensive with him in midfield, let alone him playing up front. So that could be quite fun. But um, how, so the season, as you, say, as you kind of alluded to, that it's been a weird season for City. Obviously, the kind of pre season was truncated and uh, disrupted largely, as it has been for everyone. And I think that's why we've seen such strange results as we saw the Sunday before the international break, which you also alluded to. But, um, Started off with like a really good performance against Wolves, a team they've struggled against in the last couple of seasons, and it looked quite optimistic. But then, then came their own battering at the hands of Leicester, and then usually when City kind of suffer a defeat or a heavy defeat, they kind of come back into the next game, all guns blazing, and tend to steamroll the next opponent. Didn't happen against Leeds, although it looked like it may do in the opening kind of twenty minutes or so. But then Leeds came back really good, and Leeds hitting the bar, and then um, Patrick Bamford not. Not to my chagrin, not squaring it when he went clean through. Um, we're kind of unfortunate to not win it themselves. So it's a strange season for City so far. How are you kind of? How do you think it's? It's kind of hard to predict how the season's going to go. I think because no one's got their act together really, apart from Everton. So unless we think Everton's going to win the league, <laughs> or Aston Villa, for that matter. Yeah, it's um, it's difficult because you, sort of Wolves, Leicester, and Leeds are three of you. Your trickier games in the division, probably mm-hmm. three of the best coaches you're going to come up against in the league um, over the course of the season. So, you know, four points from nine is not great. Four points from nine will not win you the league. Um, but it it kind of feels like City are City have been running on empty, really. Like if if you a common trend against in all three games is they've started really brightly. Um, they've taken the lead in all three games and then they've kind of been pegged back to different degrees. So Wolves tried and couldn't. Leicester absolutely did and battered them and uh, and Leeds kind of came back and then it could have gone either way. That, to me, speaks of kind of the lack of pre-season and mm-hmm. the, the chaos of this year, essentially. Um, and they've tried to sort of take control of games as early as they can and keep that control and they've just had varying success in mm-hmm. in keeping it so you would expect as the season progresses and starting against Arsenal for them to have longer of the game that they're in control and because mm-hmm. everyone has this thing about City never come back you know they never are able to sort of come back into a game once they've conceded well they for for probably two years they were rarely behind so it didn't matter because they yeah took the lead and they kept control of the game. You'd like to think with um, a solid centre-back pair in, in Diaz and mm-hmm. Laporte, um, and I like Aki a lot as well, that mm-hmm. um, they should keep control of more games by not conceding as many goals. And you would expect, like I say, that as the fitness and the rhythm comes back, they'll start to control more games. So they, they mm-hmm. should get much better on uh, the first three games, which oh. they will need to do. Well, you mentioned that, how they've played kind of the three toughest coaches. I think that's a great point, but it's not getting that much easier as the next few weeks go on. As we've as we've talked about, Arteta against Arsenal. Now, it does get easier the week after because they've got West Ham. Well, Alan Irvine versus, via David Morris from home. But then after that, it's like Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, who they've had a uh, struggle to start the season themselves. But um, you know, we all know Wilder's kind of qualities. Then you've got Liverpool... Then you've got Tottenham, and then 
we're back to City's easy game against Burnley, but it's quite a tough week, a tough few weeks that into November, which is obviously intersliced for three weeks with Champions League matches at Porto, I guess Porto away at Marseille, then away at, oh, sorry, then at home at Olympiacos before the Champions League has a two week break. It's a tough running for City that the next few, you know, the next month or so. It's going to be, re- it's going to be a really hard run of games, I think. And West Ham yeah. have been in form. You know, you'd expect City to beat them quite handily as they always do, but. You know, it's a weird season. You'd have thought they'd beaten Leicester handily. Like it's, it's a, it looks like it'll be a tough few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess all they can do is take the sort of prioritize the victories over their rivals. Um, I mean, I'm kind of a bit dismissive of Champions League groups, but I, I think you should be winning all your home games. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact they've got two of those three uh, are at home, and then Marseille away. You know, Guardiola might prove me wrong and Marseille might turn out to be like the best team in Europe as <laughs> as Napoli were and every man and his dog are when they play them. Um, but you, you would expect um, the Champions League shouldn't give them too many problems. Oh, um, it's a fortunate group again, you'd like to think. Marseille might be tough. They beat PSG at the start of the season. They've had a pretty good start themselves. Obviously, Dimitri Payet's there and we all know who yeah. he is. But, but you thought it, against Olympiacos Porto, it should be quite comfortable. It's the same with Marseille, are the same as Leon. You know, you're mm-hmm. not saying that they're a bad team, but there is no way that this city side should be losing to them. So, mm-hmm. um, the Champions League semi final happened, so yeah, yeah, they did. Um, so you know, you would think that after that Champions League performance, that uh, there would kind of be a, a consolidation of City's position and saying, Look, we need to stop messing about here and, and get this out of the way, and mm-hmm. more so because of the pact calendar um so i mean again you'd like to think that aguero and jesus are coming back um in in this month before the next international break so that should help sort of the cohesion and the rhythm and that just the feeling around the place that like i say that they're in control of their own destiny kind of thing and are ready to put together a form but it, it's going to be a bit a bit like in their uh their first title defense season um, when Liverpool were going so strong and they and they put this run together and then they lost away at Newcastle in January and it felt like the end and it and it and I remember doing a piece on why it had all gone wrong which aged mm-hmm. really well but um <laughs> they you know they weren't amazing the next week but they won and then they won and then they won and they won and slowly you know the bot the boulder started rolling and that is what they're going to have to do this season as disjointed as it is and as much as the standards might be lower and the points totals might be lower that's just what they're going to have to do I think because of the circumstances How Are you optimistic for the next few games? Do you see them getting kind of back to somewhere near their best and getting a run of results together or do you think it's largely going to be inconsistency that we've seen so far? Um, I think... I think there might be, there, there will be more inconsistency. But I mean, it depends how much of that relates to performance and and result. It felt last season like they were pretty unlucky in terms of a lot of kind of a lot of their errors were were punished, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of their bad performances ended up in bad results and even good performances you got bad results now maybe that is the sign of a team that isn't great or isn't as great as it was but you'd like since some of that luck equals itself out and mm-hmm. maybe um this season you know they've been mm-hmm. battered by Leicester and you just kind of mm. 
think that they they should be on the the right side of more things than they have been in, yeah. in the last year. I'm I'm gonna by no means jump into conclusions of saying Pep out or anything along those lines, but it's his first time in his fifth year at a club. I think there's an argument to said that the the intensity with which he kind of marshals his players and trains them is is it just not sustainable to be doing that? The, the with the intensity he kind of trains and the level of detail and how draining it must be, not even just physically but mentally as well. Is there an argument to say that maybe it just doesn't last for five seasons? And we kind of kind of see as we saw it last year with the kind of results slipping and the concentration levels perhaps not being the highest. Are we kind of seeing the start of maybe kind of coming to kind of the end of Guardiola? Or do you think because it's a new challenge for him? He's never had to kind of rebuild after a, a bad season. He left after he lost the league to Madrid at Spain. He never had to rebuild at all at Bayern because it's just Bayern, obviously. But he, So he's never had to like kind of come back against a challenger after losing. So will he be able to do it? Or do you think it kind of might be like the end? He's got a year left of his contract. He said he wants to stay, but I, I, I don't know. It feels like it might just, he might just have, it might just be too much for, and you know, the biggest managers, only Ferguson and Wenger to an extent really has stayed in, especially in England, stayed at clubs and been successful for such a long time. Usually you, the managers you think of, Mourinho's the same, you're at your peak for a decade usually at most. I hope it's not the end because obviously Guardiola's football, when it's at its best, is absolutely spellbinding. But I, I, I wonder if maybe, it might, at least at City, it might be kind of coming towards its end. Yeah, I mean, he. there's no argument to say that it isn't the end because he's never done a fifth season at the club, so no one knows how it's going to turn out. Um, but as you say, the peak doesn't normally come in season five, um, especially with Guardiola. So there, there are questions to answer. I mean, he, like all the top players and coaches in the world, love nothing more than to prove people wrong. And he came to England and... They said you can't change English football. You can't win the league with your football. Mm-hmm. You can't win the league without doing tackles. You can't win the league, and and he did. Without and then they said, yeah. And then you know they said we can't do it again, and he did. So he's got the track record to suggest that he can do anything he wants to do with um, the team that he's got. Um, it's been, I would say, a fractured start to the season when you think of. Um, all the injury issues and and everything else that's gone on. I mean, we're in danger of kind of forgetting a lot. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like at the start of last season and the first few months of last season, it felt more like the um, like everything was falling apart than it does now. Maybe well, because yeah, you know Tottenham the results. I remember was the first one, wasn't it? And then Laporte yeah. injury at Brighton in the next game. Yeah, and then there was a was it was it not a Wolves match quite early on? Yeah, before them? the October international break, yeah, they lost mm. and they were terrible. And 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 yeah, you, you felt like things weren't right and you felt like it wasn't a happy place. And now, yeah, it's, it's not great, but you feel a bit more like things are better than, than they were at that point last year, if that makes sense. I mean, the, the big elephant in the room is Guardiola's contract because it runs out in uh, at the end of June and... Mm. Is he going to renew? Is he not? The club don't seem to be sort of uh, that bothered about setting him any kind of deadline for when to make a decision. Um, the 
he doesn't seem in a rush to make a decision. He said on record that it's um, he needs to earn a new contract, but only he decides whether he's earned one or not. Because so, you know the club are gonna the club want him to stay. The club are going mm-hmm. to do everything they can to to make him stay. Is it a distraction that the players don't know if he's going to leave? Is it a problem for potential transfer targets that they don't know if they're going to come and play under Pep Guardiola or a n other? Do the club need time to? seek out the right man and spend kind of enough time like making sure that they feel wanted um if Guardiola is to leave. So that that is the the uncertainty around Guardiola and his and his future, I think. Mm-hmm. Um which is is almost kind of more important than whether they win the league or not this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we look forward to seeing you know the football coming back this weekend and seeing uh, well where the results take us. Very intriguing. But I know before we go, you want to kind of clarify some transfer speculation or kind of misconceptions that fans have. So the, the floor is yours. Sam. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, it was just that. Um, I mean, we were lucky enough to speak to the club's COO Omar Barada um, about the transfer window and all the deals that they did, and um, and there were kind of a few. A few reports afterwards. I I think the it would be easy to think that City had like the perfect transfer window and got every player that they wanted and didn't look at anyone else. And I think the reality was much more nuanced than that. And you know, if um, if Omar was saying that City, it it. If Omar said that Koulibaly was never a reality, it's because the price that City and Napoli wanted was never in the same ballpark for Koulibaly. It wasn't that City had no interest in Koulibaly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that City didn't actively look at him and Koundé and others um, when they were looking at signing a centre-back. It was just, it was never a reality because, you know, everything didn't align into place. And in the same way with with a left-back, you know, we know that they looked at a left-back. We know that they had interest in signing one. So, you know, to say that, oh, you know, we we didn't sell these players and we we didn't move for a left back. Well that that is the reality of uh that is like the final outcome, but it's not kind of all the working that was done at the time to to mm-hmm. work out all the possible situations. Cause no you know, no no club ever has a perfect uh transfer window and everyone's always looking at at different things that they can do. So um it, it, yeah, it was just it was just that really. City might feel like they've had a very good transfer window and done everything mm-hmm. they want to do, but that doesn't mean that those things didn't change mm-hmm. over time. Do you foresee them going again for a left back in uh, January at all? Because they got the centre back they wanted. We don't know how the season will shake out with injuries and like that and whatnot. They could probably do with a striker, but like, do you I, see a left back in the new year? What do you think? They don't tend to do business in January, um, really, unless it's a major mm-hmm. uh, signing. And I don't. I would think... say their most important signing of the last four or five years in Laporte was in January, though. Yeah, correct. Yeah, but that was circumstance, um, mm-hmm. and that was a release clause, which is always easier. But you know, yeah. it was a major player. You know, Laporte is one of the best centre backs in the world. Mm-hmm. Can you name me one of the best left backs in the world that they can sign in January? Nope, probably not. 
Not you know, my head, it, at least. It, yeah, it's I put you on the spot. It, it's one of those um, where he, you know, if he, he plays for Liverpool or not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, and even even Robertson, um, he's he's not in the best form at the minute. Um, no. But I I I think they should. I think they're short at left back, and I think they probably need more at left back. But for now, they've put faith in in Mendy mm-hmm. and Zinchenko and. Any other kind of substitute that can, I think Cancelo is going to be the one who's fit because Mendy's yeah. not had to start the season whatsoever, and Zinchenko's yet to play because he's injured once again. Yeah, um, so you know, I would be surprised if they get through the season without it costing them. I'd be surprised if they didn't look at it very closely again mm-hmm. in summer. But January is never a great market to no. um, to buy sort of important players. In. I will give you one who they could get. Maybe a centre back now, but Alaba out of contract in summer. Still not signed a new one. So I pulled yeah. one out there for you. You put me on the spot, <laughs> but I've delivered the goods. But anyway, I hope listeners that you, we've delivered the goods for you this evening. Thank you for listening to the Talking City podcast. Si, where can people follow you on the, uh, Twitter and whatnot and get read your brilliant work and whatnot? Uh, just just search my name. There's not too many of me about. <laughs> Simon Bakowski. Yeah. Uh, I'm at Dan Murphy, M-E-N, because my name is unfortunately a lot more common, especially with one certain football commentator, but we won't get into that. Uh, thank you very much uh, for listening, everyone, and we'll see you later. Goodbye. <laughs>